Well, the date for Easter is determined by the date of the Passover, which is celebrated on the first full moon following the vernal or spring equinox when day and night are equal in length. That means the date for Easter changes every year and can be as early as March 22nd or as late as April 25th. Now, if the moon had been in sync with my sermons, we'd be looking at how we share in the death of Christ through baptism this morning and how we share in his resurrection next Sunday, which would be Easter. But sadly, it's not. And since I have no control over the moon, I've decided to adjust my preaching schedule just a bit. So we're going to skip over the great passage in Romans concerning baptism for three weeks and jump to Romans 6.15 this morning. And surprisingly, it almost sounds like the last two verses we looked at last week. After telling us in the fifth chapter of Romans that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, Paul began chapter 6 by saying, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He will then go on to explain what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus and to make it very clear that we are not under law but under grace. But then he says something very similar to what he said in the first two verses of chapter 6. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Now, that, they almost sound the same, but there is a significant difference. Back in verse 1, the question was, are we to continue in sin? Here it is simply, shall we sin? Are we to continue in sin is asking if it's okay to continue living a sinful life after being forgiven. And the convoluted reason for doing so is that since grace abounds when sin is increased, lots of sin in our life would make the grace of God all the more evident. And to that, Paul said, may it never be. How shall we, who died to sin, live in it? Now, I think we can all agree, are we to continue in sin is a stupid question. Of course, we haven't been given permission to live a sinful life, a life characterized by sinful behavior. However, is it okay to sin at least once in a while? Since we are under grace, do we really need to worry about the occasional sin? That is the question being asked in verse 15. And that's the question before us this morning. We all understand 
that we cannot go back into a life dominated by sin and maintain a relationship with a holy God. We know we can't do that. But do we really need to make a big deal about every little sin? Can't we just accept the fact that we are going to sin and even occasionally choose to sin, knowing God will forgive us? Paul's response to that is the same as before. May it never be. No way. God forbid. He then says, in effect, just think about it. Think what it means to sin and where sin leads. And ask yourself three questions. Who do you want to serve? What do you want to become? And where do you want to end up? He begins by making it clear that we all do, in fact, serve someone. Or, as Bob Dylan put it in song, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. When we became Christians, we declared Jesus to be Lord. We made him our master. We presented ourselves to him and promised to obey him. We, in effect, made ourselves slaves to his will. For that's what it means to make someone your master. Your Lord. Now, some might object. You know, I don't like to think of myself as a slave to anyone. Well, guess what? You are. Whether you like it or not. Everyone is a slave to something or to someone. Before you became a Christian, you were a slave to sin. Now, you are a slave to Christ. The choice isn't whether or not to be a slave. The choice is whose slave do you want to be? When faced with a right or wrong choice, what we do is either sinful or righteous. And if we do what is sinful, we are obeying sin. And as Paul pointed out, you are the slave of the one you obey. Now, there was a time... When we were all slaves to sin, we were in absolute bondage to sin. Even if we wanted to, we could do nothing that was acceptable to God, nothing that was truly righteous, because we were sinful. Even our good deeds 
were tainted with evil or, at best, mixed motives. But Jesus freed us from sin. He made it possible for us to bury the old sinful self. He made it possible for us to put sin behind us and to rise to walk in newness of life. He cleansed our heart and made it possible for us to live righteous lives, lives that please him, lives that are in keeping with his will. Now, obviously, we don't do it perfectly. But his grace fills in the gaps and makes even our failures acceptable because they come from a heart that is committed to him and his will. But to intentionally disobey the one we call Lord demonstrates he is not our Lord. The one we obey is the one we are serving. If we are doing God's will, obeying him, we are serving him. If we're not doing God's will, we are obeying sin and the one behind all sin. We are, in fact, serving Satan. So no, no. We can never choose to sin and think it's acceptable to God. We can never choose to serve Satan and think we are still serving God. Jesus made it very clear that no man can serve two masters. So before you say, oh, this little sin won't hurt, ask yourself, who do you want to serve? And then ask yourself, what do you want to become? Verses 19 and 20. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness." Little sins don't stay little for long. They have a way of growing and multiplying. Have you ever noticed how a little white lie leads to another and another? One man actually kept rec record of how many lies he told to back up the first one, and he finally told the truth after 42 lies. Now, sin is like eating potato chips. No one can do just one. <laughs> Paul says he's trying to make this as simple as possible because we need to understand it. Our flesh is weak. We are easily tempted. And once we give in to sin, it becomes easier to sin the next time and the next time and the next time. If we obey that first impulse to sin, we become the slave to sin again. Because we are the slave of whomever we obey. And once we become sin's slave again, it's hard to break free. 
Now, it is true that we can be forgiven for any sin. If we confess it as sin and seek God's forgiveness through the blood of Christ... The problem is that the more we sin, the less likely we are to recognize sin for what it is. We start excusing it and justifying it and accepting it as normal behavior. Our heart becomes indifferent to sin. And we can no longer tell the difference between sin and righteousness. And as our heart becomes harder and harder we get to the place where, quite frankly, we don't care. The danger with intentional sin after becoming a Christian is that as soon as we choose to sin, we start sliding back into lawlessness. Because when we present our members, the parts of our body, as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, it leads to further lawlessness. We lose our moral compass. We lose the desire for righteousness. When we were originally slaves to sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. We didn't even know what righteousness was. But now we do. And if we lose our desire for righteousness, Peter tells us we become like dogs returning to their vomit. The only way to keep that from happening is to present our members, our body parts, our eyes, ears, hands, feet, genitals, brain, mouth, as slaves to righteousness. We refuse to allow any part of our body to become the slave of sin, to serve sin. We dedicate every part of our being to God. We willingly set ourselves apart for His service and His service alone. His will becomes our will. We become slaves to righteousness, knowing that by so doing, even if our service is imperfect, He will consider us holy. He will sanctify us and consider us fit to serve in His presence. You see, it's not merely a question of whether or not one sin will hurt us, it's a question of where that choice will lead. Will it lead us away from God or closer? To him? Will it lead to more impurity and lawlessness or more righteousness? Will it make us less Christ like or more Christ like? Before you make a decision about sin, you better answer the questions Who do you want to serve? What do you want to become? And then, where do you want to end up? Verses 21 through 23. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. 
But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Shame, legitimate, appropriate shame, is a good thing. When we sin, we should be ashamed. We should feel guilty. It's God's way of letting us know that something is wrong. He doesn't want to surprise us on judgment day. He wants us to know now whether the choices we're making are good or bad. And one way he does it is through shame. You know, even if we're getting momentary pleasure from sin, shame haunts us to remind us that all is not well. Like Adam, we hide ourselves from the presence of God after sin because we instinctively know we are not worthy to come into his presence. We're not fit any longer to fellowship with him. In fact, we know we deserve to die, to be cut off eternally from him because of what we've done. That is the wages of sin, and we know it. He has told us so, that we don't have to die. Because we don't have to sin. Not any longer. We can put sin and shame behind us. We've been freed from sin and enslaved to God. We made a choice to serve God. We committed ourselves to him and asked him to make us holy. To sanctify us. And he did. He made us fit for eternal life in his presence. And because of that, we stopped sinning. Now, we didn't stop sinning in the hopes of earning eternal life. No one can earn it. The only thing we can earn through our behavior is death. For the wages of sin, any sin at all, is death. No, we don't want what we've earned, what we deserve. We want a gift something we don't deserve, something we could never earn. We want the gift of eternal life. And we let God know we want it by ceasing from sin, by no longer serving sin, by no longer working for sin's wages. We don't want God to tell us on Judgment Day, sorry, but this is what you worked for. You kept on sinning, so this is what you've earned, death. No. We want him to say, you made it very evident that you wanted to live with me. You enslaved yourself to me out of love. And even though you fell short of your desire to serve me perfectly, I know you wanted to. I know you never wanted to hurt me by sinning against me. And if you did, you quickly repented because you knew 
where willful sin would lead and where willful sinners would end up. So no, we never choose to sin. Not if we stop and think first. Not if we stop and ask ourselves three questions. Who do you want to serve? What do you want to become? Where do you want to end up? If we do that, I trust we'll always choose to obey. We'll trust and obey. Let's stand.